name. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In addition today, be, uh, before I start, in addition to the Holy Spirit, I want to acknowledge some people for some inspiration for this uh, sermon. Captain Kangaroo, author Marsha Brown, and Reverend Delmar Chilton of the podcast Two Bubbas and a Bible. I love that name of that podcast. I first heard the story of Stone Soup, Stone Soup when I was quite young. Captain Kangaroo read it on his program, and I grew up watching that program. It made quite an impression on me, and I have never forgotten the story. Over the years, I have encountered several versions of it, but the book that Captain Kangaroo read, a French version of the folktale, written by Marsha Brown, remains my favorite. Stone Soup has become a very famous tale. In, Dolly Parton has even published a recipe for her version of Stone Soup. For those of you who have never heard the story, let me summarize it for you. In the French version, three soldiers returning from war come to a village carrying nothing more than an empty cooking pot. The villagers are very leery of the soldiers and unwilling to admit having any food at all. They've hidden it. This is a side note here. That was not an unusual thing for villagers caught up in the numerous wars that took place over the centuries in Europe. Armies and even small bands of soldiers were known to requisition the locals' horses, food, and livestock as whatever they needed. In other words, they just took it. Um, my own paternal grandmother's family emigrated to the United States because their community in Europe was constantly being fought over by Russia and Germany. Kept going back and forth, and the armies would come and take everything, and then when the new government, which, whichever side it was, was established, they would come and conscript all the young men into the army. Well, back to the story. The soldiers go to a stream and fill the pot with water, drop a large stone in it, and place it over a fire in the village square. One of the villagers watching this becomes curious and asks what they are doing. And the soldiers answered, we're making stone soup, which tastes wonderful. Uh, which they would, when it's ready, be delighted to share with the villager. But they also add, you know, it's really good, but it would taste even better with a few vegetables. Well, the villager goes away and uh, soon comes back saying, oh my goodness, I just discovered I had a few carrots at home and contributes them to the soup. One by one, the other villagers come and do the same and soon the stone soup is full of vegetables Potatoes, onions, cabbages, peas, celery, tomatoes, corn, some bits of meat, salt, and pepper. And finally, when the soup is done, the stone is removed, 
from the pot, and a delicious, nourishing pot of soup is enjoyed by the soldiers and villagers alike. Although the soldiers have tricked the uh, villagers into sharing their food with them, they have successfully transformed it into a tasty meal which they shared with all the donors. I think that might have been an early version of potluck. The moral of the story, of course, is the value of sharing, even with strangers. Every time I read the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and there's a version of it in each of the four Gospels, I remember the story of stone soup. Lots of people apparently do. And some people who would deny the divinity of Jesus, they acknowledge him as a great teacher, but not necessarily the son of God, have been known to say that uh, Jesus didn't actually make those loaves and fishes grow to feed the 5,000. He somehow managed to inspire all the people who had brought a little food along with them, but didn't want to take it out in front of everybody else in case they would get mobbed by them, people who didn't have food, that Jesus somehow managed to inspire them to share their food. Well, maybe so, maybe not. Uh, people who say that sort of ignore the fact that at the beginning of the story, Jesus is healing sick people. Well, of course, they might say, oh, it was all in those people's heads, but I don't think so. Personally, and, and there's all sorts of stories in the Bible and other places about Jesus providing, or about God providing in extraordinary ways for people. The story that we heard about the widow in Zarephath today. And think of 40 years of manna, quail, and water in the desert. And there are numerous stories of Jesus healing people in the Gospels. Personally, I believe in miracles, both physical and spiritual. To me, it does not matter if it was a miracle of making the bread and fish multiply and last for a huge crowd, or whether it was the miracle of getting a huge crowd, a crowd of people that size to cooperate in sharing their food by offering them five loaves and two fish. To be very honest with you, if I were sitting, say, in the 34th row of that crowd and saw the disciples start passing out that paltry offering, I'd have probably been scoping the place out for escape routes in case the scene turned into a riot. I might trust Jesus, but I am not too sure about the people in row 35. The changing of human hearts, especially a crowd of human hearts, can indeed be a miracle. But then the changing of human hearts was exactly what Jesus came for. Changing our hearts so that we could love God with our whole selves and our neighbors as ourselves. And changed hearts are something the world needs very much today. On top of the usual historical 
seems to go on forever, warfare, fear-mongering, prejudice, greed, and general pettiness, we now have to deal with the increasing consequences of climate change. In some areas of the world, people are already experiencing coasts, their coastal lands being flooded by the oceans and their communities destroyed, while others are seeing once fertile fields become deserts and century-old forests burn like tinder. Remember last month where we could see the haze from the Canadian fires and on some days even smell it a little? My sister up in the Twin Cities told me there were days up there where the air just reeked of that fire, those fires. The world is just beginning to see climate change refugees, and the number is sure to increase, including people with our own country. Last year alone, 772 families in California had their homes destroyed by wildfires. 772 families, just in one state, in one year, just by wildfires. Not floods like they had this year, 100,000 people had to be evacuated in California this past winter and spring due to the floods. Yes, many got home to clean up the mess, but some lost their homes entirely. Who is going to take care of this ever-growing number of temporary and permanent refugees? According to Jesus' teachings, we are Yes, we are. In today's gospel, the, Jesus instructed the disciples to give the people something to eat when they were ready to send them away to find food for themselves. All the disciples could come up with was five loaves and two fish. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as they tell the story, leave us in the dark where those loaves and fish came from. But John says that the, the apostle Andrew spotted a boy in the crowd who had them. Either way, the disciples said, look, this is all we've got. It certainly won't feed this crowd. Perhaps they were just as concerned about how the people in row 35 or 11 or 19 would react to the distribution of such a small amount of food as I would have been. But Jesus just says, bring it to me. Implied was, have a little faith. And how could they not after witnessing all the healings? Jesus, you see, was not asking them to do this task by their own power and with their own resources alone. He took the bread and the fish and blessed them and then gave them to the disciples to distribute. You heard the result, no food riot, and 12 baskets full of leftovers. Jesus never asks us to respond to the needs of others by our own power alone. Although I dare say we often make the mistake of trying to do it on our own, getting discouraged and giving up and saying it can't be done. Well, that way it can't, not by you, not by me, not by you and me together, but God and you and me. Now that's 
a different story. One final note about this story. The day that this story took place was not a wonderful day for Jesus. Remember the first line of the reading from the Gospel? When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. What was it he had heard? Well, he had just gotten the news that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by King Herod. Now, he was just as human as you and I, as well as being the Son of God. And he needed some time to grieve after getting that news, some time alone to think and pray, to be with his friends, the apostles, some of whom themselves had been followers of John the Baptist before Jesus started his public ministry. So he got in the boat and headed out across the water to what was supposed to be a deserted and lonely place, except that the people got wind of which direction he was going and raced around the lake and were there waiting for him when he arrived. Now he could have said, sent them away, said, hey, I need a little me time. Come back another day. But he did not. The Bible says he had compassion for them. Maybe he looked at them, saw their faces, looked in their eyes, and saw there the same kind of sadness and loneliness, yearning for healing that he himself was feeling at that very moment. You know, the word compassion means to suffer with another person. It was only after a long day of healing and feeding people, both physically and spiritually, that Jesus dismissed the crowd and sent the disciples on their way and slipped up into the mountainside for some solitude and prayer. In the middle of the world's trials and tribulations, the pains and sorrows, the missteps, the misdeeds, the disappointment and despair, there are these four words, and he had compassion. They reveal to us the heart and soul of the gospel, the assurance that God knows and cares, the promise that God understands and God heals is the one thing that can keep us going when all else fails. Jesus' response to John's death and the crowd's need is a message that rings clear across the centuries that the God of our salvation is a very present help in time of trouble. Reverend Shilton wrote about this, reflecting on this story. The incarnation, that is the word made flesh, that's word with a capital W, Jesus, is not important because it is a miracle that proves that Jesus is God's son. The incarnation is important because it shows us that God is not distant and not removed from us, but rather that God is here in the midst of life with us. 
not judging and critical, but caring and compassion, compassionate. Jesus' acts of compassion, the healing of the sick and the feeding of the hungry, teach us how to be the body of Christ in the world today. To which I will add, not just on our good days, but also on our tough days, sad days, lonely days. We all have those hard days. But I will say in questionable Judaic form, may it please God that your good days outnumber your bad days 100 to 1. Reverend Schultzman also wrote these words with which I will conclude. The important thing about the feeding of the 5,000 is not the miracle of Jesus turning those five loaves and two fish into a meal for a multitude. The important thing is that it calls us to raise our eyes above our own needs and above the limits of our own resources so that we can see the needs of the world around us and the power of a compassionate God who will take what we freely give and turn it into enough and more. We are called to be a community of compassion, a place and a people who show the world that God is alive and God is love. Amen. Or as Reverend Chilton always says, amen and amen. Amen.